Turn, if you will, back to the book of Exodus, not chapter 11, but chapter 12. <clears throat> These uh, Sundays before Easter, we're looking at some of the ways in which the Lord, in the Old Testament scriptures, foretold and foreshadowed Jesus' death and resurrection. In our, in our scripture reading a few moments ago, we saw that Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood delivers people from judgment just as the blood of the Passover lamb protected the children from the angel of death. But that night of protection, the protection from death was only the beginning of the story. So now we're going on to the rest of the story. For the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian slavery was a defining moment for God's people. It was such a watershed event that God commanded that even their calendar be changed. From now on, that event would mark the start of each new year. So this morning, let's see what we can learn as we go on in this uh, story and think of this very significant reality of not just the Passover night, but the whole exodus from Egypt. We're going to pick up where we left off with our reading in Exodus 12, uh, verse 31. And we'll read all the way down through six through chapter 13, verse 16. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, We will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, There they were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked, baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelites, the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night the Israelites are to keep vigil, to honor the Lord for the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigners to eat of it, any slave you have bought may eat of it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one's house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native-born and to the alien living among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, and on that very day the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me the firstborn male, 
The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Abib, you are, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you nor shall any yeast be anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your forefathers, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb the firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. There will end our reading of the scripture. Let me suggest two things that we ought to learn from this text. The second part has the second one has three parts, but two two great truths. First of all, just as God promised, Jesus sets us free. Just as God promised, Jesus sets us free. In this story, you know the story, you know about the plagues in Egypt. After several chapters of buildup, after ten plagues, which probably occurred over many months' uh, time, when God's deliverance of the children of Israel actually happened, it was reported in a rather matter-of-fact way. There was no discussion of the horrors of the judgment on Egypt. It just happened. So Pharaoh summoned Moses and just told him to leave. In fact, all the Egyptians asked the Israelites to leave. They feared for their lives now. And as the Israelites departed, the Egyptians gave uh, the people, lavished on the people, gifts. And so the Hebrews, a great horde of them, 600,000 men plus their wives and children, a great horde of them left Egypt in a hurry as God delivered his people. But what's most impressive about this historic event, in in my mind, is the fact that all of these things happened just like God had promised. Think back in Genesis 15, how God promised Abraham. He said, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be mistreated, enslaved and mistreated. That's exactly what happened in Egypt. 
Abraham's descendants enslaved and mistreated. And in Genesis 15, God promised Abraham they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. And that's exactly what happened. It went on for 400 years. Then in Genesis 15, God promised Abraham, I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And in Exodus 3, God promised Moses, the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And sure enough, with ten increasingly devastating plagues, God struck Egypt down, just like he promised. Then after God, then God had repeatedly promised Moses, after that, Pharaoh will let you go. And sure enough, Pharaoh finally says, up, get out of here. Also in Genesis 15, God promised Abraham afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. And in Exodus 3, God promised the same thing to Moses. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. And sure enough, God caused the Egyptians to lavish gifts on the Israelites, wanting them to take it and go. In fact, in God's original covenant with his people, he promised to curse those who cursed them. And so God cursed Pharaoh and destroyed, uh, who had destroyed Israel's sons by destroying his sons. But God also promised to bless those who blessed him. And, And sure enough, he delivered from Egypt many others along with the Israelites, as we read. Oh, make no mistake, God delivered his people just as he had promised again and again and again. But this is not just ancient history. This is important for us as well. For Israel's deliverance out of Egypt was a prototype of Christ's deliverance of us. Throughout the Bible, this deliverance from Egypt, this exodus is the Old Testament equivalent of the salvation that has now appeared in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the ultimate truth to which this story points is not just the history of Israel, but to the fact that just as God promised, Jesus now delivers us. And sure enough, as God delivered Egypt in the midst of terrible judgment, they escaped because God provided a substitute, the blood of the Passover lamb. So, as we saw in our reading this morning, Christ delivered us in the face of God's judgment, judgment on Satan, judgment on the world. Jesus became our substitute by his death on the cross, by his blood being shed, God's wrath was averted. But God's purpose was never just to deliver his people from judgment. God delivered his people so that they might live in freedom. They weren't just given more opportunity in Egypt. They were set free to a new kind of life. And their deliverance wasn't just the deliverance of their their spirit or their soul. Everything about them was delivered. It was a new beginning. It was a, a creation of a new kind. And again, that's only a foreshadowing of Christ's great salvation. He has set us free from sin's guilt, free from sin's power, eventually free from sin's presence. He has freed us from the dominion of Satan, who was more tyrannical than Pharaoh ever could have been. He has made us a new kingdom, a new creation in Christ Jesus, just as God foreshadowed and pictured. Now Jesus sets us free. Oh, but there's more. 
God delivered his people to give them a blessed new home. Now, it didn't look like that at first, for they found themselves wandering in the desert. But God had promised to give them the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. And as he delivered them from Egypt, that was their destination. Though first they would learn to live as pilgrims, trusting God out in the desert. And that's exactly the kind of salvation Christ has given us. He promises us nothing less than a new heaven and a new earth. A completely renewed creation. But when he saves us, first we must learn the way of the cross, the way of suffering and self-sacrifice. We must learn to trust God as pilgrims when we can't yet see the glory he's promised. In all these things, though, the deliverance is very similar. As God remembered his people and delivered them from Egypt, so Jesus has set us free, just like God promised. This morning I know that sometimes our salvation looks as uh, impossible. Uh, Our deliverance from the power of sin and Satan and self and the world looks as impossible as hundreds of thousands of people who are slaves suddenly being let go in one night. But that's what God promises us in Jesus. He calls us to believe his promises, to trust him enough to rise up and follow him, to trust him even though it seems impossible. And just like he promised, Jesus sets us free. There's a familiar old hymn which makes quite a point of God keeping his promises to us. We don't even know who wrote this hymn. But it's the common testimony of God's people through the, through the ages. You know the hymn well. It goes like this. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more could he say to you than he has said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not. I'm with you. Oh, be not dismayed. I am your God. I will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you and help you and cause you to stand upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Jesus sets us free. God has promised, foreshadowed in the Exodus, now a reality in the work of Christ. But most of the text we read was not about that one great night of deliverance, but it was taken up with how it was to be commemorated for years to come. So that brings us to our second point. Never forget God's mercy. Never forget God's mercy. You know, God really understands how people work. We, we, we think we understand ourselves, but we don't. We, we honestly think that we will remember great events, that the glory or the anguish of some particular day will never be forgotten. It will be etched in our conscience forever. And so we coin phrases, remember the Alamo, or this day will live in infamy, or we will never forget. Does anybody remember what it is we will never forget? In reality, people just have a very short corporate memory. And God knows how we are. 
And so as God delivered his people, he also established some ways that they would remember his deliverance. For God is concerned that we never, ever, ever forget his mercy. Now, that's what God did for Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. He established three traditions to keep them from forgetting. Now, we don't practice these same things as Israel did, but nonetheless, we still need to remember the truths that those traditions uh, held out to Israel. So let me go through the three. First of all, God gave his people the Passover celebration. Twice here in chapter 12, God gives uh, elaborate instructions about how to keep the Passover. In the Passover, God gave his people a a reenactment ritual, where where every year at the same date, they're to go through the same actions. They're to sacrifice the Passover lamb, they're to eat the Passover meal, and the stated purpose of of it all was that God's mighty deliverance would never be forgotten, that they would remember how God set them free. The Lord also makes a point of the fact that he sets them free as a community. They must eat the Passover as a community of believers. It's not just a private matter. In verse 46, uh, it speaks of the unity of the community three times. In one house, uh, there's good to be one lamb, none of it taken out. One lamb not divided, not a bone broken. There's a unity here. Remember, you are free, but you're part of a freed people. Never forget God's mercy. For that purpose, he gave them the Passover. And folks, that Passover celebration ought to remind us of how Jesus set us free. Interestingly, that phrase, not a bone of the Passover lamb will be broken, in John chapter 19 is referred to Jesus on the cross as they went to break his legs, and then they decided not to. And John said, yep, just like God said, not a bone will be broken of the Passover lamb. In his death, Jesus has set us free, not just from judgment, but free from sin's bondage, free to be a new community in relationship to him. So he calls us to remember as well. Remember his mercy by which he set us free. That's the first thing. The second one, God gave them the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Instruction on this feast can be found in uh, chapter 12 and then again in chapter 13. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was closely associated with the Passover. In fact, sometimes it was confused with the Passover, although they're actually two separate events. The Feast of Unleavened Bread <clears throat> was a, a seven-day period just before the Passover. Now, uh, during those seven days, all the yeast, or the leaven was to be removed from the houses of all the Israelites. There was a reason for this. They were remembering how on the night in which God delivered them, there was no time for the bread to rise, so they ate unleavened bread. So since the Passover has been, was celebrated with unleavened bread, they were to remove every possibility of contact with leaven or yeast from their houses for the week prior to that. And so throughout the centuries, that's what... Uh, Jews did. It's what they do to this day. They remove all the yeast from their house for a week and the feast of unleavened bread. Now what's the point here? God's reminding them that they're holy. They're holy. In my mercy, I've made you a holy people. 
That, that's what it means for us. We, we could argue about what we think it means for Old New Testament believers, but the New Testament tells us what it means. Leaven or yeast was commonly a symbol of sin, which tends to grow and permeate and affect everything, just like yeast does a loaf of bread. But Christ has redeemed us from sin. Like Israel, we too are called to be a holy people. So God calls us to diligently remove the leaven of sin from among us. That's what the Spirit says in 1 Corinthians 5. Remove the leaven of wickedness from yourself. Remove the leaven of wickedness from from the communion of the church. In other words, never forget God's mercy. He called you to be free. But he also called you to be holy, a holy people, unleavened by sin. Well, finally, there's a third uh, thing that God gave them uh, to Israel, and that is the consecration of the firstborn. These days, we don't think much about birth order. Some people are kind of into that and want to talk about the differences in personalities of the firstborn and the youngest and the middle child and all of that. But basically, we don't make much of that. But in Israel, being the firstborn was a big deal. The firstborn was the new leader of the family. The firstborn received a double portion of the, of, uh, the inheritance. And so not coincidentally, it was the firstborn of Egypt who died in the tenth plague. So then God claimed for himself the firstborn of everything in Israel which he had delivered by the blood of the Passover lamb. In verse 2 we read, The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, God says. Firstborn lambs and goats are to be sacrificed to the Lord. Firstborn animals which are inappropriate for sacrifice, like donkeys are mentioned here, They are to be redeemed. That is, a lamb must be sacrificed in their place. So with firstborn sons, they also must be redeemed. Though the manner of redemption is not spelled out here, it is later uh, a sacrifice or or money is to be given uh, to to buy back the firstborn from from the Lord for him to live normally. So what's the point? How did this help them to remember God's mercy. Well, by claiming the firstborn, God not only reminded them of the cost of their redemption in, from Egypt, the fact that, that the only firstborn who survived, survived by his mercy. By claiming the firstborn, God also claimed the leadership of the community, the leaders of the, of the next generation of every family. He also claimed the inheritance of of the community. It all belongs to him. God was saying, you are mine. Every time your you gives birth to a lamb, it's mine. Every time uh, one of your donkeys has its foal, it's mine. Every time one of you has your first son, he's mine. God wants his people to never, never forget his mercy. Those that those he delivers belong to him. That's easy to see how this truth applies to us who've been delivered by Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, the Spirit says it plainly. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. 
Therefore, honor God with your body. You see, there's no such thing as accepting God's salvation, saying, I'm delivered by Christ, but I'm going to live for myself. Oh, no. No, God reminds us, if you're delivered, you belong to me. In three ways, you see, God commanded Israel to never forget his mercy in the celebration of the Passover, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and in the consecration of the firstborn. And all of these have application to us whom Jesus has set free. Never forget that you've been set free. Never forget that you've been set free to be a holy people. Never forget that God set you free to be a holy people who belong to him. When we read of the practices of God's ancient people here in Exodus, it sounds strange to our ears, probably. We know nothing of slaughtering lambs or uh, searching our houses for yeast or uh, uh, buying back our firstborn. But we need to understand that in God's great deliverance of his ancient people, Israel, God was foreshadowing his greater plan to come that is to deliver us through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And once we understand that, we can see that these things all apply to us in some way. For Jesus continues to deliver his people just like he promised. His saving work in Jesus is, is, is a greater defining moment in history even than the Exodus was. Trust him, the great deliverer who came to set us free. Then, like Israel, we're called to never forget. Remember you are free, he says. Remember you are holy, he says. Remember you are mine, says the Lord. The Exodus was such a watershed of history that the Jewish calendar was forever changed. So Jesus coming to save us has changed history as well. So changed history that our calendar as well has been divided. There are those years B.C., before Christ came, and there are those years after Christ came, A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Jesus has come to deliver us. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these pictures that you've woven throughout history, not pictures that you've drawn with a pencil or just word pictures or illustrations, but, Lord, pictures in history, in the lives of real people who trusted you and knew your deliverance, and yet through which you, 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 you suggested and foreshadowed greater things to come, things that we now know about. Oh, Lord, may we not miss the greater reality that has come in Jesus. Give us a heart to trust you. Give us a heart, Lord, to remember your mercy and to, and to live in light of the changes that you brought when you set us free and you made us holy and you claimed us for yourselves. May that characterize our life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.